Hey, we're going to have a Bible reading now. And if you've got your Bibles, please open them up. Please bring a Bible. So much better to have a Bible than on your phone. I'm old fashioned. Bring your Bible, church. We need to carry a Bible. We need to have it. We need to own it. We need to let people see that we've got a Bible in our hands because it's God's Word and it wants to speak to you today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Open your Bibles, please. Check 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. And it says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability... Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring us also to completion, this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. See that you excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Well, we look forward to Pastor James as he comes now and brings God's word. Thanks, James. Thanks, Mark. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's James. I'm the pastor here, and it's Great to be here. If this is your first time, welcome. It's wonderful to have you here. I'd love to hopefully meet you after the service and get to know you a little bit more. Grab your Bibles, have them open in front of you. I'm, I'm like Mark, I reckon bring a Bible with you, have it in front of you. If you don't own one and you don't have one, up the back we've got free copies. So grab one on the way out. Go and grab one now. That's our gift to you. There's something special about actually reading it in paper form. I think it's wonderful for your kids to see you bring a Bible. It tells them something special. Now, I know I read on my iPhone, I read on tablets, but I actually think we live in a world where we see people on buses, trains, shopping centres doing this all the time, and it's actually idolatry. It's something they're not, yet for us, there's something special that we, you know, we grab this, I reckon. And so I encourage you to do that. Um, grab a Bible, follow me along. Um, this week, we're going to stay in one passage which is exciting. Last week we jumped around a lot, but today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, we're continuing our series on the gospel ripple and how it shapes our life, how the gospel of Jesus actually transforms our hearts and it has this ripple effect through our life in how we look at hospitality, um, community and generosity. Next week we're going to be looking at serving from John chapter 13. But let's pray and let's ask God to help us now. Now, Father God, we thank you for your word and we pray now that as we read it, our hearts will overflow with generosity because of Jesus. Lord, help us to see um, the beauty and the wonder of how you've created us to be generous people. Not only generous people with our money, but to be generous people with our time and our resources. And so, Father, help us now, we pray. Amen. Uh, John Paul Getty. So Jean Paul Getty in 1966 was said to be the richest 
private citizen on earth. They said in 1966, he was estimated to be worth $1.2 billion. Now today's figures, that's probably around the $7 billion mark. This is a man with money and he was a Scrooge. He, he loved to gain it. He did things smart and wise so that he get more and more money. They said that he was so tight with his money that even though this man's worth $1.2 billion, he would still wash his own T-shirts and hang them up in his bedroom to dry because he wanted to save the money. As his shirts would wear and they would fray, to save buying new shirts, he would get the scissors out and he would cut the frays off the shirt to save money. In 1973, John Paul Getty III was kidnapped and ransomed for $17 million. And the, the, this is the grandchild of Gene. And his family's saying, well, you need to pay it, granddad. And he said, I'm not going to pay $17 million for my grandson. Imagine the rest of my grandchildren and what they'd expect if I gave him $17 million to free him. Eventually, the kidnappers realised we're not going to get the money. And so they reduced it down to $4 million. Gene Paul Getty said, sorry. Oh, oh. They pleaded with him. Eventually he said, no worries, I will pay $2.2 million. Why? Because the tax deductible amount maxed out was 2.2. <laughs> and he said to the rest of his family, he said, I will lend you the rest, but you're going to pay me back at 4% interest. A man who loved to receive. You know, we, we look at that and it's shocking, isn't it? But is it that shocking? Do we ever have that feeling where actually it, it, it's, it's just good to receive and to receive and, and to receive and, and to receive? But man, sometimes it's really hard to give. Today we're going to be talking about gospel generosity. Now, gospel generosity includes time. It can include your, your, your resources. It's like what Mark's already mentioned. It can include running a Bible study. There are so many ways that we can be generous. And today, we're going to focus on one of those touchy subjects, the subject of money. We're going to talk about money, gospel generosity with our money. Pastors say that when they advertise that they're going to be preaching about money, guess what happens? Half the congregation generally don't turn up the next week. My experience about generosity is that you have people in a building, some will say we don't talk about money enough, we need to tell people you have to give 10% and you have to shame them into doing it. The other experience I've had is I've had people come to me and say we talk about money too much, we shouldn't talk about it at business meetings, we shouldn't talk about it ever, it's just something that should just happen. I don't know what you feel. Maybe for you, though, it does feel burdensome. Maybe you've been, and, and, and there have been times where money has been abused. Maybe you've been somewhere where someone has said, hey, until we receive this amount of money, you're not leaving this building. So we'll send the offering plate around two, three, four times. But the gospel means we shouldn't be afraid to talk about money. So the gospel ripple in our life is it actually changes the way we view the things that we have. So today, I'm not going to want to shame you into giving more money. But I want, I want us to have hearts that are stirred by the gospel so that we are driven to show gospel generosity. 
And we're going to see Paul, he's going to talk to the church at Corinth. He's going to talk to them about money and generosity. And for us to talk about money, it's good for our godliness, it's good for our character, and it's, and it's good for us to go out and be fostered by it. It's good for the sake of the gospel. So it's a topic that Jesus is not afraid to talk about. 16 out of the 38 parables in the New Testament are either about your money and the possessions you have. One in 10 verses in the gospel accounts of Jesus talk about money. It's something we shouldn't shy away from because money is a rep- it represents how our hearts have been changed. How we view the things that we have is a reflection of the good news of Jesus. There's a man called Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 10. He was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. His job was to collect taxes. And he'd come and say to you, hey, pay me your $20 in tax. But see, really, he owed the Roman $10. So he'd come and say, pay $20 tax to Rome. He'd give Rome the $10 and guess what he'd do with the other 10? He'd pocket it in his pocket. See, tax collectors weren't friendly people. They weren't liked because they were wealthy and rich and they received and received and received. And Zacchaeus meets Jesus and his heart's changed by the gospel. He has an encounter with Jesus that after that encounter, he gives it up. He sacrificially gives. It hurts him, but he's also committed to giving. He's committed to the purpose of giving but overflowing giving because he gives back four times the amount he took. Gospel generosity. Here's what gospel generosity is. Here's our line for the day. Gospel generosity is shaping your life around sacrificially committed overflowing generosity. Gospel generosity is shaping your life around sacrificially committed overflowing generosity so much of our life is shaped by a mortgage a car repayment school fees our five course meal on a Thursday night but I want you to grab your Bibles now grab it and have a look at verse 1 in chapter 8 and now brothers and sisters we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. He's going to tell us. He's actually going to use the Macedonians as a model in this moment. On the screen, there's going to become a map up so you understand the context. What's happening is in Jerusalem, in the right-hand far corner, there is Jerusalem. They're going through a drought. They're going through a famine. And Paul wants to go to Jerusalem. He wants to go and give them a gift. He wants to go and and help them out. Not only does he want to help them in the famine, but he also wants to go there for the sake of the gospel. And so he's writing to this church at Corinth. And he's going to talk to them about the Macedonians, which are north of Corinth there on the map. Macedonia was to the north of Corinth. And so that's that's our location at the moment. So Jerusalem's in famine. But also, we're going to find that Macedonia is as well. I want you to notice there in verse 2 that God's grace doesn't remove you from poverty or affliction. But instead, it actually opens up hearts. It opens up wallets. And we're going to see, firstly, we're going to see sacrificial generosity. Have a look at verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial... Severe trial, their 
overflowing joy or excelling or abundant joy. They're in affliction and they're overflowing with joy. And what we're going to see next is though they're also in not poverty, but extreme poverty. Have a look at that. And their extreme poverty, what? World up in rich generosity. I know that for the next 12 months, I'm going to have three meals on my table. I'll probably even have five. Have a couple of coffees in between, a couple of cakes. I, I, I know that really I'm going to be able to pay my rent. I know you're going to be able to pay your mortgage. But these people, they don't know whether the crops are going to come in. They don't know when this famine is going to end. They don't know when the affliction is going to stop. And yet in the midst of this, right, they give generously. Have a look. How generous are these people who are going through poverty? They're not saying, hey, wait till we get out of poverty. Wait till my mortgage is paid. They, how do they give? Look at verse 3 again. I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond that ability. Literally, it says, for they gave according to their means and beyond their means. It's beyond their capabilities. They're giving in a way that your financial advisor, your accountant or your banker would say, you need to stop, you're crazy, don't do that. That is crazy. They're not looking at their budget going, I've only got 5% left over, so that's all I'm going to give. They're actually giving beyond their means. It's sacrificial giving. Because sacrificial giving means you have to give something up to give it. Sacrificial giving means it's going to hurt you. Figuratively. Like it's, it's going, you're going to feel the sting of it. You're going to have to give something up to give this away. See, for something to be a sacrifice, you have to give it up. Michael Chang in the 90s was a, he wasn't the best tennis player. There's better players out there, but Michael Chang was a, a great tennis player in the 90s. But he speaks of the sacrifices his mum gave up for him to play tennis. His mum sacrificed her career and her job so that she could take her son around. Her parents sacrificed their home. They remortgaged it. He spoke about how his mum would sleep on the floor of hotel rooms to save money so that they could take their son around the tennis circuit. So she'd sleep on the floor while her son slept in a bed. That's sacrificial. And here it's a sacrificial generosity that these Macedonians are doing. They're feeling the pinch in life already. It's not like they've come into a whole lot of cash. But Paul doesn't shame them into giving. Have a look at verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us. They urgently pleaded with us to give. It, it, see, sacrificial giving is going to put you out. It's going to put you out. And yet what I love about these verses is there is there's comfort in them. There's comfort for everyone in this room, whether 
you've got a million dollars in your bank or whether you're on a disability pension. There is beautiful comfort in these words because it's beyond your means. It's, it's not the person who's got a million dollars in their bank going, oh yeah, I'm going to do all these things and here's 5% of that because that's all I can give. It's, it's not saying to the, the, the person on the disability pension here, you've got to give $500 away a week. See, what it's saying is that these Macedonians who were in extreme poverty, it just overflowed out of them. They just gave beyond their means. It means that as a pensioner, you don't have to look around the room and look at the person who's, who's a, a bank manager or a CEO of a company who's earning millions and going, man, I wish I could give like them. No, it's actually for us, it's just we're all sacrificial in our generosity. We give beyond our means. But to be sacrificial, it means we have to forego something to be sacrificial. Maybe it might mean you do have to give up your five coffees from the cafe a week. Maybe it means you have to give up eating out three nights a week to one. Maybe it might mean you need to give up things that your neighbour can have and it looks beautiful and you go, I'll give that up so that I can be generous. There are things you may give up so that you can't have an early retirement. See, gospel generosity is shaping your life around sacrificially committed, overflowing generosity. So we have sacrificial generosity, but now we're going to have committed generosity. Not only does it cost them something, not only is it going to sting in their week, it's actually something that they've committed themselves to. Look at verse 4 again. They urgently pleaded, they urgently begged with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They're begging because they're committed. How can we give more, Paul? They come into Paul, mate, we want to give you more. Like, I don't know about it. if I had people coming from a third world country like that, I'd go, imagine if someone came to me and said, hey, we want to give to the work here in Australia. You know, imagine someone from Uganda coming and begging with us, hey, how can we help you with gospel ministry here? But, but another way, imagine, imagine someone walking up to the finance deacon of a church like ours and saying, you know what? I've got a bonus this year. I've got 50 grand. Here it is. Do, I want you to use it however you want to use it. Do use it however you think it needs to be used. We got, I want to be generous. They wanted to, they pleaded with them. They plead because they've made a conscious decision to give. Why do they give more? It's because they're committed to giving more. If you never plan to give, you'll never give. If you go, yeah, 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 I'll plan to give in a couple of years' time, what will happen is you won't give in a couple of years' time because something else will come up. See, giving later on really means never giving again. If you're committed to something, you make time for it. If you're committed to something, you move your calendar. If you're committed to going into a school and reading books with kindy kids, what are you going to do? You're going to move your calendar. If you're committed for your kids playing sport three nights a week, you will move your calendar around it. If you're committed to life groups, you will move your calendar and make sure those things happen. We organise our life if we're committed to something. If you're not committed to it, you're not going to do it. Now, if, you're not, if, you, if you want to get healthy and you want to go running, if you're not committed to running, you're not going to get out of bed at 5 a.m. in the morning. But if you're committed to running and getting healthy, what will you do? You will get out of bed whether it's hard or not, whether it's hard or easy. But 
but then they're not committed to generosity. Sorry, they've committed themselves to generosity, but they've committed for another reason. They've committed because they committed to Jesus. Have a look at verse 5. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They've given themselves to Jesus and to us. Kent Hughes, who was a pastor, says this. He says, Jesus can have our money and not have our hearts. We can give money in the offering. We can give money away but Jesus not have our hearts. But Jesus, he cannot have our hearts without our money. You see, when we're captured by Jesus, it's everything comes with it. Your bank account, your retirement, your schooling. If he has our hearts, it comes with our money. So these people, these these Macedonians, they've been gripped by the grace of God. They're committed to generosity, sacrificial generosity. See, sacrificial generosity, it hurts. But if it hurts, we have to be committed to it to make it happen. We're committed to paying our mortgages. We're committed to paying school fees. We're committed to paying rent. To do those things, we have to make a conscious decision. We have to plan to do it. See, gospel generosity is shaping our life around sacrificially committed, overflowing generosity. See, it's overflowing generosity. It leads to overflowing generosity. It's something that overflows out of us. It's, it excels. It's, it's, it's abundantly from our lives. Now, Aussies, we're, we're stingy. We like to save. We like to scrounge. You know, we... When we're in the shopping centre or if we're, if we're buying a house or we're buying a coffee machine, we are going, what are we going to say to the salesman? We're going to, I don't know about you, but I'm going to talk them down and down and down. And I'm going, if I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to offer 50 grand under it, right? But when I go to sell a house, when I want to sell a coffee machine, guess what? I ain't, I ain't moving. I'm going to go 50 grand above. And if you offer me 50 grand under, I go, no chance. You're stingy. Go to America. Aussies go to America and we you know, go around Canada, we'll go around America. Now, Canadians and Americans don't want to be seen the same, but you know, go to Canada, go to America, have a beautiful feed on a train, have a beautiful feed in a restaurant. And as Aussies, we get the, the pay slip, 20 bucks, great, tip. Now, Aussies don't tip. Maybe you do, but I don't, right? It's, we're, we're, it's, it's like, no way. You, you're only worth 20 bucks. But overflowing generosity is, it's going above and beyond. It's going above and beyond. See, Paul is using the Macedonians as a model. You know, it's actually okay for us to hold people up and go, hey, look at this generous heart. See, Paul's saying, look at these Macedonians, look what they're doing. Look at their situation and yet... They're generous. They're they're excelling in it. Have a look at verse 7. See, Corinth, he's he's writing to Corinth. He's saying, you're excelling in many things. You're abundant in many things. 
verse 7. And I think verse 7, it's almost alluring back to 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 where he talks about the gifts. And so here he's saying, you know, at Corinth you're excelling in faith. Have a look there, verse 7. In speech, in knowledge. See, that word excel is also the same root word that's back in verse 2 for overflowing joy. So there's this play on words here of overflowing, abundance, excelling. He's saying you're excelling in all these things. You're excelling in love. We have kindled in you. But see that you also, see they're excelling in these other areas he's saying, but make sure you're also accelerating in generosity. You know how it overflows out of your heart, these other things? Make sure generosity, it's just coming out. The Mas- I reflect on the Macedonians. It would have been, I reckon it would have been easy for me to go stuff it. Say, so stuff it, we're in drought, we're in famine, we're being afflicted. I don't, oh, stuff it, it's too much effort at the moment. But it just, it just oozes out of them. You know, it's, it's often, I, I, with my own budget figures, you sit down your budget figures and go, how can I move my budget figures around so that I can have more money for this? See, see, it's in a way it's sitting down with our budget and going, rather than moving the money around so I can buy more stuff, how can I move my money around so I can give? It just it oozes, it, it overflows out of our life. I, I have Fridays off, I take Friday off. It's, it's my day off, I enjoy it. Put the phone away. And on Fridays lately I've been going for a run. I like going for a 7 or an 8K run, it's great. So this week I've gone into Haberfield and, and, and I, I ran around the Bay Run. It's called a Bay Run there in Sydney. It's about 7Ks around and it's beautiful. It's 10.30, 11 o'clock in the morning. The sun was out. It was beautiful. A bit of breeze. I was in my running gear and I just took off and just ran. It was beautiful. After about a K though, what naturally happens after about a K, you start getting sweaty and you drench. By the time you've run 7Ks, I'm drenched, head's wet, perspiring. The sweat is just oozing out of me. It's just a natural thing, right? It's obvious I've been running. It's, it's just obvious that it's overflowing out of me. So after my run, I went and saw a friend in Croydon to have a coffee with him and catch up with him. Turned up, he saw me, he said, mate, you need to go and have a shower. Go inside when I had a shower because it's obvious, wasn't it? It was oozing out of me. He said, yes, you know, it's natural. You've been for a run, haven't you? Yeah. Go and have a shower. That just oozes out of you. It's, it's sort of a natural thing. And yet, gospel generosity, it, 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 it is. It sort of, sort of oozes out of us. It's obvious. It's natural. It's just something we love to do. And isn't, it just a, isn't God just so gracious to us that whether we've got $500 or 500K, we just naturally just overflow with what we have. We overflow with our finances. We overflow with our homes. We overflow with our time and our resources in a way where the world around us says, no, I want, to, I want you to keep giving to me, whereas we as Christians go, no, we want to give to you. See, gospel, see the beautiful thing, whether it's $500 in your bank account or 500K, we overflow with generosity. It's not the amount, see, See, gospel generosity is shaping your life around sacrificially committed, overflowing generosity. And that's what we see in these nine verses that Mark read for us. We see the gospel effect on the heart of the believer. We see how it affects Christians. 
We see how it affects this, this area in the north of Macedonia. It affects them so much that they're just generous with what they have. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You know you don't know Jesus and you're here and you're checking it out. I think it's great that you are here with us. And what I don't want you to hear is maybe you've come thinking Christians just give money because it's going to make them right with God. I don't want you to hear that. See, it's your money. Your money doesn't make you right with God. How much you give doesn't make you right with God. It's only Jesus who can make you right with God. And, and Martin Luther, for over 400 years ago, was wrestling with the same thing about generosity and money. The Roman church, the Catholic church said, hey, we want to, behind the doors, they wanted to build more buildings. And so they said, why don't we offer indulgences, get people to give, all, give, us, give us heaps of money and say, so we'll tell them, we'll get them out of purgatory. And Martin Luther, he's wrestling with this thing called indulgences where he had to keep giving money and money trying to save himself. Maybe that's you today. But Martin Luther found Jesus. He found the righteousness of God that's found in Christ alone. He, he came to realise that it's actually in light of the cross and the grace of God that changes his life. It's for us as well that it's in light of the grace of God that we show generosity. Have you noticed that it's not giving money to receive blessing from God? But Paul's very clear it's giving generously because we have received from God. And it's something we cannot be proud about either. Because have a look at verse 1. See, the Macedonians, why do they do it? It's out of the grace that God's given them. We can't be proud about it. Because our generosity comes from God's grace given to us. Verse 1. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know. I want to tell you about these Macedonians because the grace of God that God has given them, it's just overflowing. Gospel generosity is shaping your life around sacrificially committed, overflowing generosity. But it's something that Jesus teaches as well. Jesus teaches gospel generosity. He teaches it. He, he teaches sacrificial, committed, overflowing. He's He's shown that to us. You read through the gospel accounts. We come across a story in Luke 16 of a shrewd manager. We come across a man who's, a man who's working for his boss. And his boss comes to him. He's been doing a few dodgy things. And the boss comes to him and says, mate, you haven't been doing your job. I'm going to sack you. So the man's gone, oh, no, I'm going to get sacked. What am I going to do when I leave this company? And so this man, this manager knows he's being sacked. He knows he needs to plan for the future. He's a shrewd manager. So he thinks, what am I going to do to plan for the future? I know what I'll do. Okay, a couple of people come in who owe his boss money. We'll just hypothetically say it's in today's terms. This man comes in. He owes this manager's boss $200,000. He says, you owe him $200,000. But you know what? By the end of the month, why don't you settle at one hundred and fifty? dollars Another person comes in owing 300000 He says, why don't you just pay two hundred at the end of the month and we'll clear the score? What about 600000 And then they come in and they clear it for four hundred. And he does these things so that men, these businessmen, what do they do? They go, man, this bloke's looked after us. See, he's shrewd. See, the point of this parable isn't that he lied, right? 
It's not that Jesus is condoning lying, but the point of the parable is that this man was shrewd. He was a steward. He planned for the future. So the point is it's financial stewardship. It's planning for the future. We often spend and invest not with eternity in mind. We spend with today in mind. But what the parable is saying that as redeemed people of God, as the redeemed people of Jesus, we shape our lives not with today in mind, but we shape it with eternity in mind. Have you heard that, ex- that, ex- that explanation that we are to be stewards of God's money? We are to be good stewards of God's things. I've heard it used plenty. Sometimes I've heard it used to say we need to store money up in our bank account. We need to make sure we're very careful with how we spend our money. And that is true. But what is a good steward? A steward is someone who uses someone else's materials as the owner of those materials would want them used. Here's what I mean. A financial advisor will only use the owner's money how the owner would want the money used. See, to be a good steward isn't to spend it and use it how you want. To be a good steward is to actually use it how the owner wants you to use it. And as we go through our Bible, what we're going to see is we're going to see that everything that you and me have is from God. God owns it. It's His. And so to be good stewards is that we are to use our money, our time and our resources as God would want us to use them. How would God want us to use our finance with eternity in mind? And yet it's so hard. I just want to receive all the time. Money has that allure. The more money you get, the more you want. It has that allure. It takes hold of you. It makes you feel safe and secure. Sometimes we think that money is going to make us feel happy. And I think one of the reasons we struggle, we struggle with it because of sin. We struggle with going, I need to be in control of my life and money somehow gives me some of that. But I think another reason we struggle to be generous is that we believe what we have is ours. We believe what we have is ours. And so we struggle to use it as God intends us to use it. American pastor, he, he, he tells a story of a grey-haired a grey-haired granny of five foot eight. She's five foot eight, she's grey-haired, and she's coming out of the, the shopping centre with a shop with a, you know, groceries. And she comes out and she, what she sees horrifies her. She comes out and she sees four men breaking into her car. What am I gonna do? Now it's America, so she's packing heat, she's packing a gun. And so this five foot eight grey-haired granny goes over to these men and says, I've got a gun and I know how to use it. And so these four men, they run scared. They drop everything and they're out of there. So this grey-haired granny, five foot eight, she puts the shopping in the back of the car, in the, in the back seat. She sits in the car, sits down, puts her keys in the ignition and goes to turn the ignition and for some reason the ignition doesn't turn. She's sitting there, what's going on? And this overwhelming feeling of dread falls over this grandma because it's not her car. (laughs) It's not her car. She's got the wrong car. So she hops out, goes, because it's the same colour, the same model, the same make, and she hops out of the car, hops into her car. She goes down to the cop shop 
embarrassed and read and says to the police officer, look what I've done. I've done something terrible. And he just laughed. He said, look at those four men over there. Those four men came to report a granny who came and held us up and stole their car. <laughs> See, what's the problem? The problem was the grey-haired granny didn't own the car. It actually wasn't her car. And the problem for us is it's not our things either. It's actually God's. We, we might think it does belong to us, but it, if we actually understand who God is, it belongs to him. See, Jesus teaches gospel generosity. I want you to quickly go, go to Acts chapter 20. I actually forgot we are going somewhere else in the Bible, so go to Acts chapter 20. I want you to go to Acts chapter 20. To, it's a great chapter. In Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul is called for the elders at Ephesus to come. It's the last time he's going to see them. He wants to impart some special words with them. <clears throat> Have a look at Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In everything... I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words, these are the words of Jesus. Remembering the words of Jesus himself who said it is more blessed. Now, I wonder how often you see the word hashtag blessed life. How does our world use the word blessed life? Hashtag blessed life. See, blessed life is the happy life. How do we use it? Yesterday I typed in hashtag blessed into Twitter and it came up with Paris Hilton who's saying it's whatever you make of life. Make your life happy. So as we see on Facebook, as we see on Twitter, as you see on Instagram, hashtag blessed life, what people are saying is look at my life, look what I have received. Look at this, look at this beautiful holiday that I've given myself. I'm feeling blessed. Look at this wonderful family I have. I'm feeling blessed. Look at my new job and my new career, photo, hashtag blessed life. Look what I have received. I have the blessed life. I have the happy life. See, hashtag blessed life in our culture says, look what I've been given. Look what I've received. They're all things that we've received. See, blessed is the favoured life. When the Bible uses blessed, it's the happy life, but it's actually the life that's in step with God. Right? Blessed is the man who walks, blessed are the people. It's the happy life is someone who's walking in step with God. It's not the nice house. And have a look at Jesus' words here. Remember the words of Jesus, it's more blessed to, to give than to receive. Our world says it's more blessed to receive. The gospel says it's more blessed to give. It's, it's an overflowing of our heart. See, our culture says it's the blessed life's receiving. But Jesus says, no, the favoured life's the one who gives. When was the last time you saw hashtag blessed life? I've just fostered four kids from a family that's just shattered. When was the last time you saw that? When was the last time you saw hashtag blessed life? I've just given 20 grand to kids with compassion in Uganda. It's, it's not something we see often, is it? And yet Jesus says the blessed life is the one who gives. It's interesting, Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get 
but we make a life by what we give. That's Winston Churchill. Because see, generosity, it, it, it actually fosters a generous heart. It fosters a generous heart. As we give generously, it's going to stir in us generosity. The more you give, the more the lure of greed will fade. So if you're not generous now, when you have little, you won't be generous when you have much. And can I tell you, that's my experience. When those moments where I feel like I haven't got much and I haven't been, like I can't give at this moment, I just don't get around to it. Don't wait. Don't wait until you go, I've got half my mortgage paid off in my home and then I'll be generous. Don't, don't wait to go, it's only until I finish my uni degree, then I can be generous. Oh, don't wait until you've finished high school to say I can use my pocket money to be generous. Don't, don't use it you know, until I'm off the pension. Will I be generous? Because if we say that, we will wait and never be generous. And there's things we can do to foster our generous heart. Maybe it is you need to go home and look at your budget and go, you know what, I'm giving this. Maybe, you know what we could do? We could increase it to give this next year. I, I, I know of men and women who go, you know, they start off in a marriage and go, I'm going to give 10%, right? And every year we're going to add it by, we're going to add a half a percent to that. So it becomes 10 and a half, it becomes 11, it becomes 12, it becomes 12, 13, 14, 15. Like, do whatever it is that's going to foster a heart of generosity. As a church, we want to foster our hearts. So when we ask and say, hey, the Bible teaches us to be generous, it's not to shame you. It's not going to be coming from me because I want you to give more. I want you to do it so it fosters a beautiful heart that loves Jesus and loves to give. Parents or grandparents, foster it in your kids. Show them what it is to give generously. Now, I think um, electronic transfer is great, right? It makes it routine and regular. But there is something, we, you know, we've lost. Well, you know, the offering bag used to go around. It's a wonderful example for your kids to see that you give money. It shows them that you've had to give. If you put that $50, $100 note in that week, it shows your kids that you've had to give up something for that. Show your kids that, you know, having musical lessons three nights a week plus playing sport the other three show them what it is to give up a couple of those things to generously give help them learn how to give up those things and go you know what yes we can do this seven nights a week but we're not going to because we are followers of Jesus and we want to give generously See, gospel generosity, it's shaping your life around sacrificially committed, overflowing generosity. But Paul never shames. He, he doesn't guilt us. He's going to tell us now why, though. So the reason we have changed hearts, the reason we give generously is because it's out of response to the incredible generosity of Jesus. Have a look at verse 9. Here's why he speaks about it. For you know the grace of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. 
so that you, right? Let's put ourselves in there so that you and me, through Jesus' poverty, might become rich. See what Paul's doing? It's grace. Saying, look what Jesus has done. Look at his incredible generosity. Ray Galea says this. He says, there is no one richer than the owner of the universe. And there's no one poorer than a man stripped naked on a cross. See, for us, we give because Jesus was stripped naked. When we actually grasp the comprehension that the king of the universe would give up his heavenly throne for a wooden cross. When we picture the picture that the king of the universe would be born into a turd infested stable filled with filth and mire. So the rest of the world has got no idea that this king has been born. So that the filthiest men and women, which is us, could be saved by grace through him. So that we could have life everlasting. As we understand what the God of the universe did for us, how much more does our heart just overflow? It just overflows. See, gospel generosity, it's, it's shaping your life around sacrificially committed, overflowing generosity. See, John Lang, in last century, was, he was a construction owner. He owned a construction business. He grew it. He grew a business called the Lang Construction Group that became a really big construction group in the UK that employed over 10,000s and thousands of men and women and employed thousands of people. It grew. It was worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. John Lang earned millions over his entire life. But John Lang was a follower of Jesus. He was a Christian. His life had been transformed by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. That his life was a life where he sacrificially gave, he was committed to giving and it just overflowed out of his life. One day he's on a construction site and a young man's there and he's not doing too well. He's sort of out of it, not working real well. And John goes up to this man, he says, what's wrong? How are you going? Talks with him. And the young man said to John, he said, honestly, my wife's been sick for seven days. I'm getting the kids up. She's sick. I'm caring. I'm doing the washing. I'm cleaning the house. And by the time I get to work, I'm exhausted. And John said to this man, he said, where do you live? And they shared. And so John just left. And a couple of hours later, John came back and he said to the young man, he said, go home. Have two weeks off. So go and have two weeks off and care for your family. And have two weeks off and don't worry, I'm going to pay your wage. So this young man goes home and by the time he gets home and walks through the front door, John had already been there and left cash sitting on the table for him. A, a man whose life's been transformed by Jesus. A man who planned his life so that when he died, he'd given all his money away and had 371 pounds left in the bank. A man transformed by Jesus. May we be a church that's sacrificial in our giving, who are willing to give things up. May we be a church that's committed to it. But also maybe be a church where it just overflows and oozes out of us because of Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, we, we ask now that you will stir our hearts to be changed by your word. Lord, may we have hearts that are stirred to have lives that truly believe that it is better to give than to receive. May we truly believe that have lives that are sacrificially generous, lives that are committed to the gospel, committed to Jesus, that overflow with generosity, that oozes out of us. And Father, we pray this for your glory and for your glory alone. Amen.